0: Welcome to Spark. I'm Pastor Danielle. Um, if there's anybody here who doesn't happen to know me yet, we'd love to get to know you. Thanks for coming and joining us. Last weekend, um, Kevin and I were at the Society of Biblical Literature Conference in Denver, which was super fun. <clears throat> Phoebe attended too, because she's a scholar as well. And um, it was great. It was good to be back in that room. Hadn't been there since before COVID. And it was just good to be back and listen to ridiculous words, multi-syllabic words being described, you know, for the book of Deuteronomy and all the other good things that were being discussed. It was lots of fun, plus lots of books. So many books. It was great. <clears throat> and really fun scholars in the mix. Those of you who follow like P.N.s and uh, Kate Bowler and who else? Sandra Richter and... Lots of fun, folks. So we had a great time. So thank you, Pastor Tom, for holding down the fort and and closing out our John series last week. I'm really grateful for that. And we're also looking forward to now jumping on in and starting our Advent series together, our first Sunday of Advent. It's a lovely time of year, isn't it? It starts to feel different when we can start playing the music. When the radio station, that one radio station that only plays Christmas songs starts to go and all the music and all the elevators are all jingling. It's a fun time of year. So we're going to get started now with our first Advent sermon. It's entitled Shaky and Hopeful. And our reading will be long because we have a beautiful story to tell. And it's going to be from Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start in verse 5 for the sake of brevity. But please go and actually just note that at the very beginning, Luke has really lovely uh, sort of formal Roman language here at the very beginning. These verse in Greek, um, these first four verses. And then he starts to sort of jump into more accessible language for the community. And it's sort of like an indication, and his forms of Greek here, an indication that this story is for everybody. So at the very beginning, it says, uh, since many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So it seemed good also to me to write these things down for you, most excellent Theophilus, friend of God. And then he starts this story. And we're going to read it together. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both getting on in years. Once when he was serving as a priest before God during his section's turn of duty, he was chosen, this is Zechariah, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside and then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified. And fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before them, before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I know this will happen? For I am an old man and my wife is old too. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. And meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zachariah and wondering at his delay in the sanctuary. And when he did come out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary and kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. You see, Zachariah's job was to go in, burn the incense, come out of the temple and bless the people. He's the priest. He's supposed to do the priestly blessing like the one we just did. And he can't speak. He can't do it. When the time of his service was ended, he returned to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months she remained in seclusion. And she said, This is what the Lord has done for me in this time when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. Now, just for the sake of brevity, because we're going to talk about next week, there's a scene break here all right? Luke stops the middle of this story about Zachariah and Elizabeth and John, and he's like, by the way, an angel also, same dude, goes and talks to Mary in Nazareth, okay? So scene break, and also Mary will come and seek out Elizabeth when she's about five months pregnant, and they will have an interaction. We'll talk about it next week. Come back, okay? Scene break. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him Zachariah after his father. But his mother said, no, he is to be called John. By the way, this is the earliest accounting we have in any biblical literature, any extra biblical literature of the naming of a child on the eighth day. So, just super fun. We have this right here. Luke tells us of this tradition. They said to her, to Elizabeth, but none of your relatives has this name. Like, he should be... Zachariah Jr., like that's how this goes. And they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give him. Apparently during this time, Zachariah is not just mute but also deaf because they're motioning to him. I'm not sure exactly what's happening. Might be that thing where you meet somebody sometimes and they don't speak English and you start speaking louder and louder even though they're not deaf, right? So you're trying to figure out their ways to communicate. They're doing everything. So he asks for a writing tablet and he writes, his name is John. And all of them were amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. And fear came over all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. And all who heard them were pond- pondered them and said, What will this child become? For indeed the hand of the Lord was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his child, David. He spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus the Lord has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that God swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us, that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness righteousness in God's presence all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. And because of the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Shaky and hopeful, Christmas time can seem a time created specifically for children. It can seem a time where all of a sudden the focus comes of gift giving and candy and presents. And for those of us who are maybe out of our, like, less childhood stage, maybe our Christmas list has gotten a little bit different. You know, as a kid, it was long and specific. My parents, I asked them what they want for Christmas this year, and they, they gave me very high-ticket items. <laughs> I was like, you need to just go buy that for yourself. I don't know what you're thinking. I was thinking a book. Um, they're like, I'd like a new... Th-. I'm like, okay. So our lists become different, and we oftentimes think of Christmas being that time where kids climb up on Santa's lap, give all the list of the things we do lots of cartoons, lots of candy. But the Gospels of Matthew and Luke are not writing for children, and the Nativity stories are anything but childish. They tell stories that are hard to explain to kids, actually, and hard to explain to adults as well. The images of Advent are impossible, load-bearing, and shocking. And this is exactly what happens to Zachariah. He thinks it's shocking too. Zechariah, seeing the angel, is terrified, afraid. Tarasso in Greek has the connotation of being shaken up. This same word is used to describe Herod's reaction upon hearing about the birth of the king of the Jews, of Jesus. And also when Jesus meets the two on the road to Emmaus after Jesus has been crucified and buried and resurrected, but they don't know that, they haven't met him yet, and they're shaken up. That word, stirred up horrified, trembled, quaking with fear. This is what's happening. They, this angel has caused Zachariah great mental distress to stir up trouble. Zachariah is freaking out. Thus, alternative titles for this message could be like, I'm about to rock your world, or rock steady baby, or and not stirred, or shake it up, and, but ultimately, the whole thing that's happening is there's no question that it's a good thing. That what's about to happen, this shaking is a good thing, as uncomfortable it is, as it is. See, Advent shakes up the norms, and the story Luke is telling is intended to cause us to be shaken. First of all, Herod, Herod holds Harold that'd be a good name from. Herod holds the throne and power, but Zechariah and Elizabeth are the focus of our attention. That's a shaking. That's a twist and a turn. We normally only care about the people who have the power and the influence, but here we're going to focus on an older couple. We instead don't focus on the king. We're focused on the priest. We're not focused on that foreign interloper as Herod has sort of bought his way into that role. We're focused on the loyal children of Israel. Luke begins the Jesus story also not with Mary and Joseph, but with Elizabeth and Zechariah. He centers the voice and the role of the older generation, connecting us right away to our past and to the communal memory, to a continuing covenant. You see, Elizabeth and Zachariah will join in the long line of stories in our Bible of other couples who were not able to conceive, some who were very old. The first of such is Abraham and Sarah. And in fact, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of our Hebrew scriptures, in Genesis chapter 15, when God shows up to Abraham, he says, don't be afraid. And Abraham is also shaken up. So when people get shaken up, people are freaked out. Also, do you remember what happens when God says to Abraham, hey, by the way, you're going to conceive, you're going to bear a son. What does Abraham do? Do he and Sarah conceive right away? No, right? Not at all. He goes, they have a conversation. She's like, I'm super old. Why don't you just sleep with my slave, Hagar, the the foreigner? And they sort that out instead in a different way. I kind of think maybe it's the same messenger. And this time they're like, show up to Zachariah. And they're like, hey, you know what? Your wife, and then let's be specific, Elizabeth, because maybe you were confused last time. Last time I talked to an old guy, there was some confusion. Elizabeth, Elizabeth. The one wife you have is going to... You know what? How about you just don't talk for nine months? Like, so that's just like, we'll just solve this problem entirely. So Abraham and Sarah, Rachel and Jacob, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, Samson's mother, Mrs. Manoah, Elisha's patron, the great woman of the Shumanite, right? All of these, these are stories that push through our text of God showing up and helping people who are in need of the impossible. The word Zechariah actually means... God remembers. It comes from that same root. God remembers. God remembers is his name. And God commands us to remember too. Elizabeth's name, Elisheva, means my God and oath or promise. My God, Eli, and Sheva is oath, like Beersheva where Abraham goes and he has the well of the oath. Her name declares that God keeps promises. And she's the daughter of Aaron. She's of the priestly line. And this is going to be a theme now. This is another shaking up theme in the gospel of Luke. where We're just going to be focused a lot on daughters. We're going to talk about Anna, the daughter of Phanuel. We'll talk about the ruler's daughter whom Jesus raises from the dead. We'll talk about the daughter whose hemorrhages Jesus dries up. We'll talk about the daughter of Abraham who receives her healing. We'll talk about the synagogue in the synagogue the daughters of Jerusalem who weep for Jesus. Daughters are remembered and celebrated at the beginning of the story. And at the very end of the tomb as well. Maybe someday we'll listen to them. Zachariah has done all the right things. Luke, the doctor, the text here is trying to tell you they're righteous, they're just old. They've done it all right, they're upright. Elizabeth has done all the right things. But what, when life isn't still what it should be, what it had hoped to be, what do we do? When we feel the absence of the divine... When we think that there's no reason to hope, we pray. And we call out to God to remember because we remember because he should remember and because we know God's covenant and God's promises are forever. What do you do when your name means God remembers and your name means God keeps his promises, but you feel like the Lord has forgotten you? That's the story at the very beginning. God remembers and God keeps his promises and they've lived righteously and upright before the Lord. They've done everything right and yet they don't have the blessing that they've longed for. They don't have a child. Zechariah shows us what to do. You wait. You pray. You still go in and pray. You still find purpose. You still show up for work. You still wait to get called in. You still do and keep doing the next right thing. And this is what Zechariah and all the people of Israel who are also waiting to be delivered. Waiting for a rescue out of this foreign king. Out of Rome. After, out from under the rule of Herod. They're all there in the temple in Jerusalem. And that's when Gabriel shows up. Zechariah is chosen by lot. They roll some dice or some stones. He's, he's chosen to go in. And it does strike me that we all have the choice, don't we, in this world, whether to see divine providence or not in moments like this. Zechariah maybe just thinks it's just, you know, the luck of the lot. He's pulled, he's called in, he goes on in, and he walks into this holy space that is in itself pregnant with Meaning. It's filled with incense. It smells good. There's a barbecue outside where the offerings are being made. It's filled with holiness, with light reflecting off the gold. The weight of meaning and history is heavy in the place. And the community gathers for prayer. What are they praying for today? As they see Zechariah go in, what do they pray for? Are they praying for peace, for shalom, for deliverance, for hope? I think they're praying for the things we pray for. For understanding, for marriages to be healed, for children to come home, for healing. Or maybe they're praying that Herod would take a really long vacation, right? Maybe you've prayed for various leaders to take long vacations. They're praying all those same things, right? They're human like us. They're waiting for God's deliverance like us. In the middle and the midst of times that can feel where there's no light, has God forgotten? Has God been faithful for others but not for me? Why hasn't God acted on behalf of Israel and on behalf of Zechariah and Elizabeth? So the angel shows up, maybe looks very scary like this. I would imagine this person to scare me a lot. It's like sort of weird CGI, kind of like bad, bad CGI graphic. That would be very scary. And the angel shows up and says, Do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to name him John. Notice that the prayer has been heard. That now finally... God has remembered that Zachariah is having an experience that lives up to his very name. God remembers. Because maybe the prayer wasn't being prayed right in that moment. Wouldn't it have been a crazy prayer for a really old guy to go on in as he's praying? The prayers just to light, you know, burn incense and do the offerings the priest is supposed to do, to also be like, oh, by the way. Me and my really old lady, could we also still have a kid? I wonder if this is a prayer that Zachariah didn't pray a decade earlier. But God has remembered. Your prayers have been heard. God remembers Zachariah. Your wife, whose name means God keeps promises, will give birth to a son and you are to name him Yohanan, God is gracious. It would be crazy for people to walk around and just think, hey, God remembers your wife, God keeps promises, you're gonna, she's gonna get pregnant and you're gonna have a son named God is Gracious. Zechariah, Elishava, Yohanan. Their names alone tell the story that is being played out in their life. Here's Zechariah's response that's impossible, prove it. That's not gonna be possible. I'm really old. She's really old. It's not going to happen. And then the angel gets huffy. And you know what? You're in a bad space when you make angels frustrated, right? And Gabriel stands there and is like, who do you think that I am? I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. Who do you think you are? Zachariah makes an angel huffy. Things don't go well after that point. And Zachariah is a priest now who comes out, he can't bless. But perhaps his muteness, his silence is a gift. Perhaps it will give him time to ponder the impossible. Time to ponder the very thing that he said can't happen, prove it. Time to ponder and listen to a narrative that he doesn't dare voice. He just gets to sit with this for a while. So nobody actually knows from this point forward what happens. We just know that he goes home and Elizabeth conceives. I don't know if there's just like some really great game of charades. Um which if you imagine the early church community before they had the text written down telling this story, right? And like, so Zachariah comes home and he sees Elizabeth and he's like, hey, and then you just fill in the charade yourself of how you think he's trying to explain to her. The good news is, of course, later on we find out that he can write and she can read. So maybe it didn't have to get to the uncomfortable charade moment. But Zachariah has failed to believe God's promise. What happens when we don't believe God's words? What happens if we fail to believe that God's promises will come true? What happens if we don't have faith, if we only doubt, if we're just in periods of darkness and we can't even believe the possible, let alone the impossible? God's still faithful. If anybody's ever told you some sort of crazy lie, like, well, the reason why that good thing didn't happen in your life was because you didn't believe it hard enough. You didn't have enough faith. You didn't do it the right way. If only you'd prayed this way with this formula, with this. Has anybody ever said some sort of madness to you like that to try to explain the impossible or why the impossible isn't happening? I just want to let you know you should point them to this story and be like, Zachariah was like, no, that can't happen. Prove it. Shut up for nine months and it still happened. God doesn't need you or me to believe really, really hard in the impossible for God to do it. And the angel tells him right away, you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Like, don't doubt. I am still Gabriel who stands before the presence of the Lord. I am still going to bring this to pass. What happens when we don't believe? What happens when we doubt what happens when it's just too crazy? God remembers. God keeps God's promises. And God is gracious. That's what the story tells us. Zachariah Elishava Yohanan. God remembers. God keeps God's promises. God is gracious. When we're ugly, when we're difficult, when we're wrong, all of the things, God will remember. God will keep promises. And God will be gracious. So, John is born. Like, what's his name? Definitely Zachariah Jr., no, 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 his name's going to be John. Are you sure? Let's ask him. Nope, his name is definitely John. And the moment that that happens, Zachariah can speak. No longer shaken or silenced. After nine months, Zachariah is now both priest and prophet. And he gets to express his personal joy, but also his global hope. His now full belief that God does remember and does God does keep promises and God is gracious. And so this is what he says now filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesying. Listen to these words now. Listen to the hope. Knowing his story. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. In the birth of this boy and in what he knows is coming in his relative Mary, Elizabeth's relative Mary. He believes that God has now started that crazy, impossible, improbable hope that a Messiah is coming. When he talks about being raised, that God is raising up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his child, David, the word child there is very specifically used. When he says that, he's not talking about John. He's talking about Jesus, who's not yet born He sees now with great hope what he couldn't see before. He believes now the impossible that he couldn't believe before. And he says, oh, and now I'm hearing that this is coming back. This is because God has told us this before, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. The Lord has shown mercy, promised to our answers. He has remembered his holy covenant, the oath he swore to God. Look, he's pulling their names right into the story. To our ancestor Abraham to grant us be, that we, being rescued from the hands of Mary, might serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness in God's presence all our days. It's like he's like, I can't wait to get back to that temple. Hopefully, they'll call and cast lots again. I get to go back in because now I know we're all being called to do this. And you, child, he says to John will be called the prophet of the most high. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation. Just note too, look, there's so much in here about how these echoes back to Isaiah that talk about a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Zechariah, who is voiceless now sees how God is speaking and at work. You will prepare the way of the Lord to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins and note this beautiful bit because God loves us because of the tender mercy of our God. Dawn from on high is going to begin to break to shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to find, to guide our way to the guide, our feet to the path of peace. At the very beginning, when we lit the Advent candle, we were talking about how Advent is a time when we're reminded that lighting a candle in the darkness is an anticipation of the arrival of Christ. And we quoted those first verses from Genesis 1. Like in the beginning, when God created the world, right? And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God speaks it, and it happens. But you remember those verses that we didn't talk about just that few words just before. There's darkness and there's chaos, but God hovers over it. Look at the Via Media hover video if you're having it, it's beautiful. God hovers over the darkness. The darkness is where God is, too. God isn't only in the light, the darkness is as light to God. And Zachariah is like, God's mercy is so good that dawn is breaking. And for those of us who've been sitting in darkness, in the shadow of death, light is come. But I just like you to know if you're sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death, that does not mean that God is not there. God is there too. God is there too. There's a beautiful book out right now um, by Pastor Drew Jackson out of New York. I'm not, I, can't, I don't know him personally. I can't give you a full endorsement. I don't know all of his positions on all the things, okay? But he's written this lovely book of poems, and it's entitled God Speaks Through Wombs. Uh, John Baptiste actually writes the introduction for the book. And he writes this poem from the point of view of Zechariah. Faith Opens Mouths unclenches jaws and minds that could not fathom the chasm between my hopes and what's actually possible being closed. Because old dreams don't resurrect or spout anew, they remain barren where and when they passed away. But faith opens mouths and grounds and skies and wombs and tombs and hearts to fresh starts And fresh words that speak of things impossible. Advent is a time of being shaken. And the shaking is good. It happens in the midst of our doubts. In the midst of our faithlessness. In the midst of our righteousness. And in the midst of the light. Advent is a time to be shaken. It's a time to be woken up again, sleepers awake. Christ is coming. In her book, *The Light of the World*, um, A.J. Levine, Jewish scholar of the New Testament, she says this: Christmas is more than just putting up decorations and wrapping gifts. It should give birth to something that shakes up the routine. Something that gets us to see the world otherwise. That shaking up is what it means to follow Jesus. To love one's enemies is scary. To take up one's cross is terrifying. Yet at the same time, Luke reminds us that there is a legacy that carries us forward. And a promise that God will remember the covenant and bring about eternal justice. Will we be shaken Are we willing to trust the shaking and that it would bring hope? And when we're shaken and our mouths might be shut for some time, what will we speak? What voice will we speak with? What words will we share? And will it truly be good news that can shake another? We're going to invite the band on up as we turn towards a time of communion. And this communion, again, should shake us. The words of institution that we share at this time, these are impossible things, improbable things to say, and yet they've changed everything for us. In our deep hope to make the world a better place, We have decided to try to move away from plastic as much as possible for the single use servings that we started to work on during COVID. And Debbie's worked really hard to provide you with stainless steel cups that can be washed afterwards. Yay, thank you so much. There are individual cups filled with the juice and individual cups filled with the cracker. So as you come to the table, After the words of institution, you can take your juice and take your cracker and partake, and then put it back in the basket. You're welcome to partake at the table or welcome to partake back here and you can put it in the basket at the end. And if you are gluten-free, we still have a plastic option for you. Sound good? All right, let's turn our hearts towards the table. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed, and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All are welcome at this table.